This is a pre-recorded version of the WTKA Roundtable <laughs> on WTKA, unsurprisingly, 9 o'clock Thursdays. It is recorded, however, so if you call in, no one will answer. Welcome back to the Michigan Insider here on Sports Talk 1050 WTK. The ticket online at WTKA.com. We are now joined by the crew from the MGO Blog Roundtable. We are also live on Ticket TV as well. Good morning to the crew. Good morning, Brian Cook. How are you? Good. Seth Fisher? Uh, eating again. That's uh, improving on yesterday. Always a bonus. Craig? Ross? Yeah, I'm doing good. You know, if, if you would indulge me for one minute, um, I... I mentioned a couple of years ago that I have a, an extremely high percentage of Neanderthal blood. I came out of the closet on this and uh, I saw that this month a guy named Svente Pabo won the Nobel Prize for his discoveries concerning the genomes of extinct hominins and uh, human evolution. Specifically, he's decoding the uh, Neanderthal, Neanderthal DNA. And I don't think, you know, that you can look at Brian Cook or Seth Fisher and not say caveman. And, uh, and so I just thought I would bring this up. And uh, indeed, they use RPS in their, uh, in their UFRs. And for, it should just really be rock because that's the old Neanderthal joke, right? The RPS for Neanderthals is just rock. So the lowbrow humor, I know. Big, the uh, big argument, because this, this Michigan was at the very center of this, the big argument in human evolution when we were in college was out-of-Africa theory versus multi-regional theory, whether humans evolved in, in one big group and just mm -hmm. shared traits all across the world or whether there was like a group of humans who came out of Africa. And the gene research into Neanderthals has really painted the picture finally of what actually happened and the interesting thing is this is the the people at michigan um like rachel kaspari bill for wolfoff mm -hmm. uh were the professors there at the time they were like the leading people saying no this is multi-regional that humans have always humans get around and if you give them a few hundred thousand years everyone's going to end up related to each other this is not really related to football but now that we're brought it up <laughs> I knew you knew something on, about some this. Of you, one of you guys I read the papers, man. I somehow, right? I no, <laughs> this, is, this is this is my jam. I love human evolution. I know. But I think I people are even though this is Iowa week, we probably need to talk about more than Paleolithic uh <laughs> genomes. Although what's more Neanderthal, uh, what Craig's talking about or Iowa's offense? I think the point uh, is that we're completely wrong about calling Neanderthal making Neanderthals stupid or old-fashioned, or pretending that they only played with rocks. The fact is that they were incredibly advanced, incredibly smart, just as human as humans, and even though they were split off and had some different traits, we're absolutely wrong about how we talk about Neanderthals. They were a brilliant, very, very human society, and the fact that all of us still have Neanderthal blood in us means that we're wrong to say it. Just like Michigan's offense... <laughs> <laughs> Which there we go as we transition back to Michigan <laughs> here on the Michigan Which, Insider with the Roblox Roundtable. Yeah. <laughs> and Mike says that Iowa's offense is actually pre Neanderthal. Yeah, I'm I would asking. Uh, Sam is now spending the rest of his morning with Don Staley. He's got a, a, a program down there. He's in South Carolina, as he said. He's going to be in the Carolinas for a couple of days. He actually is with Don Staley for the rest of the morning. We'll get a recap on that tomorrow. But that is the answer to the question of where is uh, Sam for the remainder of the morning. He is hanging out with Don Staley. Uh, and talking with her about Nas, really, because what else are you going to talk to Don Staley about other than our greatest player that she also happened to coach? So, guys, let's talk about this. Michigan beats Iowa 27-14. Uh, Seth, since you were getting uh, ready to start on that, why don't you put the Michigan-Iowa game into a little bit of context? I, um, I mean, Brian 
I thought wrote a, a brilliant piece this week on his column where he was just like, we weren't really that worried. And like, what's wrong? Like, what what happened to us? Like, we're we're Michigan fans. We've been, you know, we've seen slow motion screw ups so many times, and you know, it it started off great. Like, oh my god, we're this is a great defense, and Michigan was moving the ball exactly how you're supposed to move the ball against Iowa. We had three quarters of just like, this is just a slow motion beatdown. If DJ Turner brings in that pick six, right? It's not a bad play. You don't get a negative for taking that. It's a real positive play, obviously. But like if he takes that in, it's 27 nothing, and all the backups are on the field. And instead we get, you know, a fourth quarter where Iowa is really just not really coming back, but it feels like annoying. And unless they can score 14 points in one trip down the field, it doesn't really matter. So, but it was, it was annoying. Yeah, it was, it was, it was mildly annoying. Brian. Uh, well, can you give me something to talk about other than just <laughs> Iowa game happens? To, to, to put in the context, the end of it, I said that the, the fourth quarter was Iowa gaining momentum, but never actually being in the game. Well, I mean, to me. they had momentum, obviously, and the crowd was into it and they had the ball, but they were never actually in the game. Well, I mean, we've seen games like this against teams that don't really have an offense. Your decision making <clears throat> can get back to 1950s level because uh, you're playing a team that plays football like they played in the 50s. So whenever you get in that situation, turtling is actually pretty much the move. So. You know, Iowa was able to drive the field once on Michigan, and they can't get the conversion on fourth and two. But even if they score that, Michigan goes three and out again. They got four minutes left in that second drive. They just got pressure on. I mean, there's two sacks and two hits on on Petrus, and no completable passes. So, you know, it was it was a frustrating second half. It's funny that the the plays went from like, you know, Michigan had a 12 play drive, an eight play drive. 13 play drive, a 13 play drive, and a 10 play drive. And then it was 3 3 3 3. <laughs> now, the last three was a touchdown, but the, you know, you, you just got that fumble, and I was able to drive the short field, and, and then you're sort of very reasonably just shutting up shop and going home. I, I actually I went to Iowa. Uh, it was a nice trip. Uh, the fans were pretty collegial. No one in my face and a lot of people who were, you know, very, you know, very sort of actively pleasant. Uh, I was worried. I have to admit in my head when it, after when Iowa was driving and we were ahead 20 to seven, I was thinking, oh, yeah, this is going to be a 21 20 game. Uh, and I was wrong, thankfully, but I, I have to admit I was quite worried about about the game and I was it just seemed like one of those events where you had where Michigan had controlled the game early and then you had the crazy play where Zinner steps on uh, JJ's foot killing killing that drive and then you had the the mixed missed uh, pick six and then you had us with a Michigan with a third and one and Iowa putting basically 10 guys at the line of scrimmage or certainly no one deeper than one yard off of the mm. line of scrimmage. And we just tried to blast it as opposed to taking advantage of what they were giving us. Um, so for me, it was a, it, it was frustrating in that sense. There was no question about who the better team was, uh, but I was still worried. I have to concede. And I ha and my surmise is I wasn't alone. There were other Michigan fans who were thinking the same thing. The difference in so. this game between mm. – We've seen games before where Michigan should be up twenty-one nothing, and instead it's nine to six. And you're mm. like, "Oh God, one dumb thing, one thing can screw us." Right? The difference is they get down on their first drive, they run that uh, the end around Bell off of counter tray, which is like their base play. Iowa completely freaks out about it. Michigan walks into the end zone. Right? They uh, that's that's that whip play where you know Schoon makes yeah. a change, just change directions. Is that Hawaii? Was that running the Hawaii game earlier they, this they year? They ran something like split Once, zone. Maybe. This was actually off of counter tray. I okay. saw they, the funny thing is I saw them run this. Um, they tried something like this against Iowa last year. So they, I think they had it prepped specifically for Iowa because of how they trust their linebackers to read plays and react. 
And part of the way I'm going to next sharpies this in, uh, in, uh, either today or tomorrow, but it's a it, it was it was messing with the way that Iowa likes to play with their linebackers. It was not it's something that should work against anybody because like Michigan runs counter tray all the time, but Iowa particularly sells out against counter tray. They also get down there on their third drive and um, I mean they didn't sell it against anything in this game. They they had a six man box until like it was panic time deep in the third quarter. They mm-hmm. I, mean, I I have never seen a team be that passive. Like I've seen Iowa games before, and I was, I mean, this was this was insane. Washington like, last year is the example I thought of. Well, I mean, they just, I mean, they added guys to the box like twice before it was three and out time, and I was just like, they're just kind of handing this to Michigan, and you know, Klatt's talking about how these guys are like real, like they're real confident in how they're going to stuff up the run game with the light box. And it's just not happening for most of this game. And I mean, I, I, I'm going to come out with a really huge RPS number in favor of Michigan. Cause when you got a, a hat for every a guy in the box and quorum goes and gets seven yards. I mean, that's on you as the defensive coordinator. Yeah. And I know you want to prevent big plays, but you know, by the time you're down 10, nothing and it's getting close to halftime and Michigan's got the ball. I mean, you gotta you gotta activate, you know? You gotta you gotta get after it because Michigan's already proven to you that they can drive the field over and over again. So I I'm I mean everybody likes the Iowa defense, but I thought their game plan here was just way too passive. Well it was it was bend, don't break, but that's what Iowa wants to do is they, they want to get you down and make you square kick a field goal. And if Michigan gets I was what I was in the middle of saying is that they're Michigan gets a field goal and then no points and then a field goal on their first three drives. It's a completely different game, but Michigan gets that one play where they actually get the linebackers to get out of their way. They have another play where you know they're able to, um, you know, Michigan's able to score when they get down to the red zone. And if you and that's those are just events early in the game. But like if you can take advantage of a bend won't break team and get all the way down the field, now Michigan couldn't go downfield at all. They had one shot downfield all game, right? But, I mean, they could have gone downfield more. They just didn't. There yeah. were opportunities for. I mean, there's one check down to to Corum where they're in quarters, and Michigan's got two fade routes on it. I'm like, I want JJ to look him up at that point. Like Cornelius Johnson and, and Ronnie Bell are one on one downfield. Got to give you guys a shot. But again, just the way that Iowa plays, like argues in favor of extreme conservatism. So you get a twenty to nothing lead against Iowa, and that's like forty to nothing against basically anybody else. I mean, there were Iowa had like three drives in the first half. So not only are they like giving up, they're bleeding yards and points, but they're also really limiting the opportunities that their offense has to do anything. So when you're Iowa and you're letting teams drive the field like that, they had two three and outs to start, and so by the middle of the third quarter, they're out there and they're on play number seven. <laughs> it's just like I you can't get it. <laughs> I, I think my UFR was like, hmm, I wonder how Brian's doing right now because I'm already in the second half and I've only done like 20 plays. Well, there was an awful lot of running, so it's not like there were a lot of plays in this game overall. But yeah, I was just, I mean, when Iowa got more aggressive, like they started punching Michigan off the field. And, and you know, part of that's the fact that Michigan didn't take advantage of the fact that they were getting more aggressive. But I don't know. It just feels like a real passive way to play football. And it feels like a, I mean, it's been successful for them, but it's, it's really hard to watch. Just <laughs> if I was an Iowa fan, I'd be like, I mean, that's why everybody in the stands is wearing ironic, maybe unironic. I cheer for the punter shirts that are officially licensed. Yeah. <laughs> like they're, they're punter, they're punter on we shirts have a Hawkeye logo on them. I was like, <laughs> Well, I don't think in. I think it is ironic. Uh, I think there's a certain sense of gallows humor in 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 those shirts, uh, and there were a lot of them. Uh, I, I, it wasn't just the ones the camera was focusing on. They were all. There was something. Uh, several punter shirts, and on on many many fans in the in the stadium. So it's not ironic. Uh, Seth, I have a question about since you focus on the on the defense. Mm-hmm. I, I I wasn't crazy about our linebacking play in this game, and I wonder what 
you know, could you speak to that and how, how you felt I, it went? So against the run, the linebackers were actually fine. Um, mm-hmm. The stuff that I complained about last week where Michigan was getting the double team with the, and the, the defensive tackle sometimes even giving up a yard just to maintain that double and make sure his linebacker stays clean. And the linebackers, that window doesn't stay open very long. And Michael Barrett was fine. Uh, he, actually, he actually was way more aggressive, took those opportunities, and made a couple plays. Now, Iowa was using a fullback, so they had a lot of those lead stretch zones. They um, committed penalties that weren't necessarily involved in the play. One time the penalty was, but the clipping really you know, shouldn't have been called. And then they also had yeah. like a, a 15-yard penalty on, on probably their best run of the game. Um, that it was a penalty. You could see like the officials like sitting there, maybe telling him to stop and let go, and he doesn't. Uh, but like it was just, it wasn't really germane to the play. So that should they were having success with that because Michigan plays with small linebackers, and this is one of the concerns we had going in was that Barrett is not that big, Colson's not huge. He wasn't really taking on the fullbacks. Mostly, they they didn't have a fullbackian sized linebacker just to kind of take on that block. And I was going to force that block to happen. That's what happened when you have a fullback instead of somebody split out wide, instead of just getting the guy out of the box, you're forcing that block to happen. And then the block actually matters. Um, But Barrett got in the spot he needed to be. And he just, just a little too small and got pushed out. Same thing with Harold. Now Colson was fine against the run. He actually was reading the run pretty, pretty good. Uh, He was not, He's what they call covering grass. He was just dropping to spots. And I was talking to a coach uh, after I posted UFR, and he like was talking to me because he, he runs cover three with high schoolers. And he's like, this is my problem with them all the time, that you, you show them a bubble, right? You show them a picture of cover, cover three where you're like, this is your zone. And what they do is they go to the middle of their zone and they stop, and they just wait around until the football comes in their zone. You can't actually cover it that way. What you have to do is one guy comes to your zone, you carry that guy, and then you ha- as soon as he's going into an area where your next guy can get to him, you have to look up the next player. You have to figure out where the next guy is. And it's hard. I'm not saying this is an easy st- – this is, you know – I'm not, like, saying Colson can't play because he's doing this. I'm saying this is kind of a hard thing you just got to get used to where you have to know kind of how route combinations work. And if, you got, if you're carrying a guy and he goes outside, you got to know – He's going outside. Somebody else is going to be coming into your zone. you got to look that guy up and get over there. Um, and that was really the only major leak that Michigan had other than, you know, a couple times, like, they had their safeties put in positions to be linebackers. Because Iowa was playing heavy, and Michigan doesn't normally play very heavy. So, like, one time R.J. Moten buries himself in the, in the line, um, and he's, he's not a linebacker, and he's not been trained to do linebacker stuff. So he, he sees someone being doubled, and he just goes and slams himself in the line. Unfortunately, Iowa only took those the third and seven that they converted. Fortunately, Iowa only took that, because if that guy bounces outside, there's just nobody. So I have a question to follow up, because you're talking about how you know the, the linebacker play all that stuff in the Iowa game, and you're going against a fullback. So how does this translate in the future? Because how many teams to play like Iowa down the rest of the schedule? So <laughs> is it a turn, or is it like... I'm just trying to rank for that part of it. Because we I'm still use tight ends as fullbacks? Well... I mean, Michigan's response to Iowa going heavy was to play Mason Graham for most of the game. So, whereas Iowa, like, if they're going to go heavier, they're going to replace their nickel with a linebacker. Michigan doesn't do that. They just bring in an extra defensive uh, defensive tackle. So, they're, they'll be well-suited to, to deal with this sort of offense the rest of the, the year but they're probably not going to see it. And the one team that might play like that is Michigan State, and they just haven't been able to do anything on the ground. So, What yeah. about Penn State? I, I mean, are they might they go I mean, that Penn, direction? I mean, Penn State, I don't even know if they have a tight end. They have Brenton Strange, but he's more of their traditional, like, all I do is receiver kind of tight end. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, they're three wide all the time, and they go from the gun most of the time. So they're not really... I mean, they'll try to run the ball, but they're not going to present that same kind of like beef that Michigan's going to need to do. They're more of a like a Maryland like concern where we're not getting pressure on on Tagovailoa because it's a because he's a runner and you don't want to let that guy out. So I mean, Clifford is still Clifford, and that's that's the more concern with uh, with their offense. And Parker Washington's a receiver. So this is which gets to the next question for you guys. Your concerns, because we're now five games in the season. Michigan's face a really tough defense in Iowa. They face a really good offense in Maryland. Other than that, though, they still haven't faced a ton. So how much do you still, what are your your biggest concerns now? Is it linebacker or is it something else, Brian? 
Um, I guess my biggest concern is that JJ McCarthy needs to get that deep ball back because if he does, it's game over, right? If if he hits a couple more deep shots against Maryland, which is a decent Power Five defense, you know Michigan puts up fifty points in that game. And if he hits that deep shot to Roma Wilson, I mean, game that's ball game, right? So, like that's we've seen him manage a game like McNamara did in this one. He he was very patient. He didn't he didn't really push anything, which is a really impressive thing for a young quarterback to do. We've seen him open it up. We know he's got the legs to to do stuff with and now it's just can he get back that that last little piece of the puzzle what about you uh craig what's your biggest concern now that we're moving into the uh game six of the season yeah i i don't know i i mean i don't feel really concerned about the offense i mean i for whatever reason i think jj is going to start hitting some of those deeper balls uh to me the offense looks pretty functional and and quorum is a phenomenal back that i felt that with uh, keegan back the offensive line looks pretty good i guess if i've got a concern on offense it's pass pro on, on the right tackle he had two major blows in this game and i couldn't figure out why exactly uh i mean on one where he where uh mccarthy was sacked basically the he, there was three, the uh, Iowa uh, defense was overshifted to the left side of the Michigan line. There was only one defensive lineman to the right. And for some reason, Trente looked inside and the guy just ran outside of him right at McCarthy. In fact, the same thing happened on the touchdown pass to uh, uh, Donovan Edwards. So I'm not sure what's going on there. I think he's been great on the, in the run game, or I, I don't know how Brian will grade him out, but I, to me, he looks like he's he's run blocking has been terrific, but uh, there's some misunderstandings on on pass pro. That that's what bothers me the most right now. I don't know uh, if Brian's graded it out and he sees something else. No, I mean he had those two almost back to back instances where he just didn't block a defensive end. Anyone, yeah. And those were the touchdown that that JJ was able to to conjure up out of nothing, and then the backwards pass that was almost a disaster and Mm -hmm. on both of those you're just like looking and you're like what did you think was going to (laughs) happen like it was not great Uh, you know otherwise he he did have a solid game like i mean it was a strange game to grade on the offensive line because they didn't really get a ton of push like it's just holding your man up, kind of controlling him and maybe putting him to one side wherever it goes. And then Quorum's going to pick the right spot. So it's not like Michigan was like grinding these guys into dust. Like it's a solid defensive line, but they didn't have to just because the box is so light. Yeah. Seth, what about the, you concerns moving into uh, the sixth game of the season? What uh, lingers. Yeah. I mean, the Trent a. Jones thing is, I, I don't know what to make of it, but like the linebacker play, the fact that they, I mean, they've already, they're not getting the Kai Hill Green back every week. It's just like, you know, we haven't heard anything out of uh, him coming back at all. Kind of making me concerned because, like, Kalel Mullings played seven snaps in this game, which is the same amount as Jimmy Roller. In fact, Roller got on the field first. And then they're, like, trying to, you know, I mean, that was his red shirt burned right there. I mean, obviously, they, you know, if they have another guy, they could get it back next year. But, you know, it, it there's nothing from Roller that says, like, okay, this guy's ready to go. It's like, we just need linebackers. And obviously that's that's concern like after we had a bad week from Mullings last week and um and now they're just trying stuff. And whenever you see that, whenever you see Michigan putting in somebody like, I don't know, throw in Nolan Ulysio, right? Like that that is a mark that they don't really they're not confident in what they have. Now, I think if they can just they can scoot through with Barrett and Colson's gonna get better slowly. It's um but that's the main concern. I really I mean Penn State is a good team, and who else do they have until Ohio State, right? Like, it's it's just the, the normal Michigan, something bad's going to happen to me concern more than anything else. The other thing people yeah. are bringing up is the uh, the pass rush, but I think we saw some of that maybe turn. Do you think you, what you guys saw in the second half, maybe that's well, in line of what we hope to see the pass rush to be. Mike Moore's taking a step forward. Uh, Yabi Oki, obviously, making a big contribution in the second half. Yeah, I mean, I... I mean, I think Morris is actually more exciting than Oki just because 
Oki got on the field made it made a quick impact, but just in terms of like being able to do that as part of the regular defense, we're still working on that with Oki. He showed up halfway through fall camp and is pretty much limited to passing downs right now. No, I mean, no, they were only using well, him on passing downs, but then he got stuck on the field when they were moving the ball yeah. afterwards, and he did fine. Like, he put some things on tape that were like, okay, well, you can do that as well as Jalen Harrell now. So it's only a couple of times, and I haven't well, seen I him think, play a zone read yet. But You know, like, I think the the fact that he always oh, only playing passing snaps probably speaks to what's going on in yeah. In terms of like his ability to play all the different things Michigan wants to do on defense, right? So it, for Morris, though, Morris is out there all the time. And for him to have the number of snaps that he did and then have that impact on the sack, 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 sack drive is is impressive. And now he's he's grading out as one of the conference's better pass rushers at 295. And I'm, I'm still a little skeptical that he's going to be able to keep that up against – like a top end tackle, but other than Ohio State, I don't know if there is one on the schedule. So Morris being able to do what he's doing is really helpful. And then we got a sack out of uh, Mason Graham with a push pull move that's exactly Ryan Glasgow. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we were hoping for is if Michigan could actually get some pressure up the middle. Hasn't really happened so far. You know, Mozzie Smith is a very good player, but he's he hasn't blown up to the point where he's Mo Hurst. But I, I think if you can get a little bit more out of Graham and Oki and have Morris keep doing what he's doing, then I think your pass rush looks all right. Not great, but all right. I, I've noticed with Mozzie that he's got a little bit of George Karlaftis disease where like he just he wins at the front every time, but he he doesn't he doesn't get to the quarterback. The sacks don't come from it. And like that is when you say George Karlaftis, different type of player because he was more, you know, more playing what Chris Jenkins plays, but you know, he's a Excellent, excellent player that you want to have on your team. Uh, but I, I tried to show it. I mean, it gets into the weeds, but I tried to show it in UFR where Morris, when he's, he comes through, his move is more set up. So he's already got his foot in position to make sure that he's not going to get washed out. And Mozzie Smith, is he doesn't have that part of his game down yet. He hasn't really been a pass rusher. I think that they're kind of expecting him to get, eat so many doubles that he wasn't that's not really his role. His role is to have two guys on him so other guys get singles. When he does get singled up, he pushes the guy in the pocket, but he's easier to step around because he doesn't yet have that control to, to really turn it into uh, a sack. And, you know, if, if he's not going to get it against Spencer Petrus, then it's probably not happening this year. I, it's still fine. I mean, he's still grading out really well. Um my concern this game, and maybe this is not going to matter again because Iowa was, you know, the only team that plays a fullback. But when they did go five-two, uh, and they had three defensive tackles out there, they really have three defensive tackles that they trust. And Mozzie Smith was not coming off the field because his backups normally Mason Graham. If Mason Graham's a starter, and he's on the field already. Then your next guy is Cam Good, and they had one snap with Cam Good. He didn't. He did fine, but it was like you can tell that Michigan wants Mozzie Smith out there as much as possible. And he was getting tired. I think there were some plays where, you know, he's still trying to eat a double and still trying to keep his linebacker clean, but he's getting pushed down two yards instead of one yard. And it was, you know, at the end of a long drive. And, okay, that's that's what happens if you're a defensive tackle because, you know, you're a big guy already. So we started to see where the limitations of Mozzie Smith are, where he's, you know, he, he's not a first overall draft pick. Okay, like I, I still think this guy is a, you know, second rounder, maybe even low first rounder, and making a major impact out there. But it's there. You saw how far he can, you can get, how much you can get out of him, right, in this game. And along these lines, uh, you guys, the this week with Indiana, they're going to play basketball, uh, or you know, basketball essentially, and they're going to run at an incredibly fast pace, probably more than any team we play this year. Now they're not any good, uh, but, but is this going to be, will Michigan go back to a strictly a three man defensive line against them? And, and they're not, Michigan is not going to be able to substitute out. So they're not going to be able to use Oki in pass downs and Harrell on, on rundowns. I mean, do you think what what are they going to do in that spot? I mean, I know Morris is going to play, but do you remember Walt I'm, Bell when he was with Maryland and they were just chucking it to those tiny little running backs all the time mm-hmm. and like 
they're they're even going to formations where like literally everyone they can post possibly put on one side of the formation they have on one side of the formation to the point where you know they're covering guys up and then they just have the running back run out the other side and that worked for them a couple times because they got a running back versus linebacker matchup but I think this almost plays into Michigan's strengths because who are your edge defenders uh in you know, out in the wings it's Rod Moore and Mike Samer still who both been very good at that and then if you're going to play running back on linebacker, it's Junior Colson and Michael Barrett, who are, like, you know, that's, that's what they are good at. So Michigan might match up well enough that I'm not that concerned about that race car offense. What actually, is it just personnel? What has happened to Indiana? Wasn't it like two years ago they were the darlings? Everyone left. Well, their quarterback sucks. And yeah, Penix is in Washington. Suck. I get that. They didn't replace him. Their running back sucks, and, and <laughs> their offensive line sucks. So. Yeah, their right tackle is probably really bad, uh, like, and so that's a problem for them. That's the situation; is all their players are bad. <laughs> I think they got to have some... back at a uh, corner. Like I like both their cornerbacks. I think that's the the one thing. They used that... to have some good players, but now they have bad players. So. <laughs> They had like two good recruiting cycles. They lose Mike Hart and now they're toast. Is that pretty much what happened? Well, I mean, like they used to have like these like six foot four wide receivers who were pretty good and they had Penix. Even Peyton Ramsey was solid. And, yeah. you know, their running backs have never been particularly on the up and up, but, you know, they were around. And then they always had Peyton Hendershot for the last 55 years. And now he's gone. And, and I don't know. It's just Tom Allen's a defensive guy, right? And they had some runway, I think, after he was hired. But, you know, Kalen DeBoer was was briefly their offensive coordinator before he moved on to Washington. And I think sometimes with defensive guys, it's just a matter of time before they pick the wrong OC and then things go haywire. And last year, the OC was Nick Sheridan. So He's at Washington now, too, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, and... I mean, Walt Bell is a very specific kind of guy. You hire Walt Bell to turn your team into a Walt Bell offense, but you can't just do that overnight, even in the transfer portal. And God, they have a lot of transfers. You know, you, we know Carpenter is their center. Um, I mean, they, yeah. they don't even have a slot receiver who's any good. Well, DJ Matthews was hurt last week. So DJ Matthews is good. He was that Florida State transfer who was like a top. He's probably their first. best player on offense, isn't he? He's by far is... their best player on offense, but he was hurt yeah. last week, and I don't know if he's going to play this week. Like, he's. Out of the injured guys, other than Matt Bedford, is out for the season. They're right that the right tackle. Um, I, I don't even know what school he's from. He's just he's a transfer from some Division three school that they have playing out there. But like the reason he's playing is Matt Bedford, who was their starter last year, um, is injured all year. Uh, Camp Camper is like the supposed to be the big receiver, right? They they always have a guy like that. That guy has also been playing injured. So it's like, and then like they have so many transfers on this team. Connor Bazelak is the quarterback. He's fine, but he's you know he's Peyton Ramsey level, not Michael Penix. Like gonna gonna make something happen. Uh, they they just have they, the, all the guys left. I, I, like they between the offensive coordinators and then like changing to a completely different system where you like where Walt Bell had to, like go out and try to like pick up free agents basically to to fill all these spots that they never recruited for because it's com- such a completely different offense than they were than they've been. Um, you know you have to luck into a player like if you're gonna go out in the transfer portal and try to build your team that way if you don't get a kenneth walker you get a sean shivers instead that's what you are so what's your level of worry this week guys for this game any level of worry uh no i know brian doesn't <laughs> i mean it's it, it's at indiana we have a little bit of history of of stupidity coming into at not indiana much. games so. i know but not much so low level of worry is my assumption well, this, I, this is a team that lost to Nebraska by two touchdowns. I mean, they got rolled by Cincinnati. They got rolled by Cincinnati. They were in a competitive game for most of the game against Idaho. So the question Walter asked, does Michigan get 250 passing yards and at least two touchdowns? Do you guys assume they'll get higher than those numbers in this game? Well, I mean, the cornerbacks superficially look pretty good for Indiana, but their pass defense has been incredibly porous. And I think this might be a, an opportunity for Michigan to go out and sort of uh, take the training wheels off uh, a JJ and like really let him go. Like when I say porous, I mean 
porous. Yeah, the Nebraska, 118th threat, yeah. Nebraska put up 10 yards in attempt. Cincinnati put 8.9 up. Yeah. Idaho put 8.9 yards in attempt up. <laughs> so this, they're not getting that downfield. Um, you know, they're... They're not really throwing at the cornerbacks. And why would you? Why would you bother throwing it to Juan Wall and Jalen Williams when, you know, they've got this, um, their old nickel guy was like, a, they call him the Husky, right? Like, that's the, the hybrid space player. And they still play a hybrid space player style. But they ha- they kind of ran out of safety. So they had to move the guy who had been a hybrid for ages back to safety. And now they're just playing like a regular little nickel in there. Um well, Seth, I, and he's, he just gets burned. Like he's not fast I'm, and he's small, and it's like I'm, that's a bad combination. I'm not sure I can agree with you about the uh, big plays because they've given up more 20 yard passes than anybody in the conference. I'm they've saying not to f- the not to the outside cornerbacks. They're they're throwing. You can, I mean they're throwing fades against Noah Pierre is, is what I'm saying. Like the 511 guy who's not 511 and he's not fast. Like that's well, that's be, where those are coming from. This could be a big game for. Roman Wilson, if those slot fades and posts are on on point for for JJ, and I think this is a game where you take a bunch of deep shots because it's fun and you can do it. And they so don't have do much it. pass rush either. Like the yeah. Do you remember last year's yeah. Indiana team? It's basically the same team minus the one guy who could pass rush. Yeah, yeah. My notes are you know uh, Illinois. They did beat Illinois somehow. That's their you know Illinois' only loss. But uh, Illinois gained 216 yards uh, rushing to 32 for Indiana in that game. So it's it's a bizarre loss. They were down to Idaho, 10 nothing at half. They were down to Western Kentucky, 24-13 in the fourth quarter. They were down 38-10 at half to Cincinnati. And then Nebraska gained 655 yards last week. So, yeah, this is just a bad team from top to bottom. And, uh, you know, my only concern is that you're in between the Iowa game where Michigan was obviously pointing to, or I'm sure they were, and next week's game uh, that Michigan was, is obviously pointing to. And this falls in between a, a road game against a bad team. is all. It, there's always some, you know, risk of, of how prepared is Michigan going to be, how motivated they're going to be. It's a cliche, but it's in fact real in sports and you can – you can see it. So that's my concern. Not much of one. I, agree, I think but. Indiana is, is injured and maybe they were a better team when everyone was going, but like, we're not talking about a sea level team that like plays a good game and is going to be able to play with Michigan. Michigan's playing a bad game. It's more like Indiana last year and Northwestern last year, where if they come in with their best game and Michigan comes in with their worst game, then we're like, uh, it's twenty to seven. I hate this. Like that's mm-hmm. kind of where we're at with that with this thing. Yeah. All right, guys. We're gonna obviously talk a lot more football as we get into next week. Big game next week coming into town. Uh, Penn State will be here, so we'll be uh, back talking football from the Michigan side of things next week. But before we shift gears away from football, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you guys your thoughts on the big news from the Big Ten this week. Uh, Seth, I'll start with you on the news that came down on Sunday. The ultimate news dump in the middle of the Packers game: the Wisconsin fires their football coach. I mean, every single time we bring up a coach on the Go podcast, he gets fired the next moment. So <laughs> it's, it's, someone put out a tweet that, like, Paul Chris's uh, record at Wisconsin was similar to Jim Harbaugh's. And I'm like, oh, man, like, that's that's a way to take some numbers out of context there. But, um, I mean, he was – it seems a little weird because, like, it's he was a Wisconsin guy and he was, you know – you know, Burt Bielema is the one who takes him out. It's just – it's it's such a <sighs> – weird drama but i mean are they going to stop being wisconsin is barry alvarez going to hire somebody who's not a wisconsin i think like they're jim leonard was ready to be a head coach and he was probably you know chomping at the bit to do it anyway so maybe that had something to do with it maybe people are talking to let in they're like well if we're going to move on let's move on i don't know it it seems like a loss to burt bielema was taken more personally by wisconsin than anybody else because wisconsin can't see they're a very parochial school if you know anything about their fan base. Well, I have so, a go ahead. I'm sorry, Brian. <clears throat> I mean, the issue for Wisconsin is that they suck at quarterback, and Paul Christ is supposed to be the quarterback guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's he's the guy who fixes things in that department, and their recruiting just really fell off a cliff. Like they were a team that would like pick up a handful of four stars and they wouldn't ever have big classes, 
but what they would do is they would just keep guys around. And like last year, they got one four star in the entire class. They finished 44th. And the number of commits they have for 2023 is 13. And they don't have a single four star. They're 54th overall. Like there's just sort of this malaise that fell over the program. And they've been essentially 500 against power five teams for the past year and a half. And they rushed for two yards. That's what get you fired. Yeah. At, at Wisconsin, <laughs> rushing for one, two yards in a football game and losing that football game. Well, that's that's the end of the road. Yeah, I have a good friend in, in Madison, uh, and I sent him a note early Sunday morning, I think it was, saying, you know, is uh, is Chris in trouble? And he goes, ah, oh, no, 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 no way. That's not, you know, I, and he goes, it's just not the Wisconsin way. They'll wait till the end of the season and evaluate it. Wisconsin just doesn't fire their coaches. And, uh, well, he, in about 20 minutes later, he sent me back a note saying, uh, rumor is he's been fired. So he was, so the Wisconsin people are, you know, the, the one I know at least was quite stunned by this. And I suspect he wasn't alone. I, I'm I'm pretty surprised by it. Not that he was terminated, but they terminated him in the middle of the season. Jim Leonard or no Jim Leonard. I, ironically, you know, you talked about the recruiting, but like ironically, their offensive line is probably star wise one of the best they've ever had, just from a recruiting standpoint, because they've got like <clears throat> five stars. Remember, they got the guy out of Michigan, out of Western Michigan, Logan Brown. Is that yeah, his yeah, name? and, and they just, they Brown. haven't developed him as yeah. much as like the. Wisconsin's always going to be good because Wisconsin still, it, it's one of the last places in America that still has like a 1990s uh, distribution of talent in high school um, where like a lot of players are at small schools. And if you're not Wisconsin, if you don't recruit out there all the time, you don't know which Przinsky or Beauchamel is good because like they're, they're spread to the five wins. You know, most other states at this point have consolidated into some big schools. There's like a couple of big publics and then there's like, you know, a couple of big privates and like everyone knows which school to go to. And then you go to IMG and whatnot and St. Francis and whatnot for the top guys. And Wisconsin, they're still split to the winds all the way through into the Dakotas. And that's how Wisconsin's always been able to find these dudes that no one knows about. But like if you're not being able to run against uh, an Illinois Front. And Illinois has got a good defense, but Illinois is just, they're aggressive. And Illinois will like throw guys into into gaps that you don't expect them to. And you're supposed to be able to figure that out. Wisconsin's always had bad quarterbacks. Like Brian said, if they're not, if you can't figure it out, if you can't take advantage of like what Burt Bielema is doing to you, that's why I think it was a parochial decision. It was like, All right. this is our guy. And then, I mean, you do have Jim Leonard. Jim Leonard has consistently put out some of the best defenses in America. Sure. And he's a young guy and he's probably going to get poached at some point and he's going to be head coach somewhere else. And if you think he's the guy, then this is the move you make. And the other thing is that you've got Lance Leopold out there and Leopold coached at Wisconsin whitewater. He's been a success everywhere. He's gone. His offense is really fun in ways that would be, I think challenging to implement at Wisconsin right away, but he's doing it at Kansas. So like, you get this guy who has connections to your state, who's obviously a very good coach and Nebraska's sniffing around him, And you're like, well, if we think that this guy who looks like a turtle is not really going to be the long-term guy here, then I mean, you're already out of the conference battle. Like just move on. And it's not like you're, and you have a really good interim. You have a really good backup plan. So I think it's, uh, it, it makes some sense. It is, it is representative of what seems to be a, a shift, right? Because this is Wisconsin, and we're talking about how like this makes sense given the current environment. But the current environment is crazy because mm. you got a December signing day, you got the transfer portal, so you can't hang around with uncertainty about your coaching position deep into December mm. and January, right? That's just you're going to lose a ton of kids to the portal. Everybody's going to be signed by the time you try to recruit anybody, and then you're really digging out from a hole. So it's uh. You're seeing all this accelerate because people are terrified of what's going to happen to the roster. 
Is Lee, I mean, won't Kansas just pay Leopold? So, so Leopold is, uh, Nebraska yeah. wants him, Wisconsin yeah. might want him. He's got ties to both programs. Kansas yeah. is going to have to pay for him to keep him if he wants to leave. Are you going to stay at Kansas and be, the, and be the number two sport? Like if you're, if you got Nebraska coming, I mean, even a like, big, yeah. Wait, wait, a big 12 school that is not named Texas or Oklahoma simply cannot compete with yeah. what Michigan is going to put out there, especially because they have to pay their basketball coach so much money. So whatever, <laughs> whatever attempt Kansas makes to try to keep him is just going to get blown out of the water. Interesting, because I sort of had the opposite impression. You're probably right, but my instinct is Kansas will just pay, and they'll pay whatever they've got to pay to keep him. Uh, how has that ever? How is it? Has that ever happened in the history of Kansas football? Where they're uh, like, well, they, I don't even think they, they paid Charlie keep... Weiss. Are they still paying Charlie yeah. Weiss? <laughs> I mean, just... Fielding Yost wasn't he was there for a year? Yeah, Fielding like, Yost was everywhere for a year. He he, yeah. he couldn't literally, literally <laughs> the worst. Power Five football program. They, they he's not going to stay at Kansas. I, I'm with you, Brian. I think he's going to have a really nice offer this offseason. He's going to pick whether it's Nebraska, Wisconsin, or maybe even somewhere else. Someone's going to have a nice, uh, nice offer for him. Guys, we have a few more minutes left, and I had mentioned that I saw Brian at the hockey game on Saturday night. So I was just curious, Brian, your initial thoughts. I know they haven't actually played an actual game yet. That's this weekend, and I'm not exactly sure what we're going to see against Lindenwood. I know next weekend when we get to the BU games, the competition really steps up for them. Uh, but the little bit that you saw, I know we didn't see Hughes and a few other guys as well, but your initial uh, on-ice impression of the Michigan hockey team. I mean, they're going to... The talent level is not going to drop off at all this year. Like, Adam Fantilli looks like he's a six-foot-three stay-at-home defenseman, and then he starts playing with the puck, and you're like, oh, my God. And then if he's centering Samuskevich, Samuskevich is going to blow up because what happened with Samuskevich last year is he got a little bit buried because he was a freshman and the other guys were sophomores. And then he would just fire these wristers and everyone looked like they were going in the net and then they would go a foot outside the post or hit the post or it was just, he, it felt like he wasn't getting the goal return he should given the fact that he's got just an absolute howitzer. And I think he's going to have an absolute field day playing on Fantilli's wing. And then if you have Dylan Duke as the third guy on that line, classic net front guy, I think that's a great top line. And then we didn't see Nazar play, uh, and, and he's another first-round pick who's going to be a big deal. Gavin Brindley is going to be really fun. He's more like the TJ Hensick type. He's five foot nine on a good day, but makes that work in the way that we, those kind of hockey players do. <laughs> yeah. And so those top two lines, even the third line, I think, is going to be pretty explosive. And then it's just like, all right, we got a new coach. We got a new system. How well are these guys getting taught? What kind of defensive breakdowns are we talking about? Because they're going to be inevitable. And can Michigan simply outpace that with their offense? Yeah. And I think if you look at the defensemen, you got Hughes, you got Ethan Edwards, and you have Seamus Casey, who also looked fantastically entertaining. Um and so you've got like this classic stay-at-home offensive defenseman pairing on all three pairings. I think that's going to be really good. And the, the power play. And then, you know, Brandon Narado, we had this complete fiasco of a process that brought us to Brandon Narado as the interim head coach. And I think that may actually be a, a stroke of good fortune because a guy like Narado generally does not get this job. But he's he's young he's analytically inclined he hired uh, a director of analytics which is <laughs> not something mel pearson ever would have done he's written an article for the athletic back in the day and he's focused so much on skills for his players so i think you comp you combine his evident ability to develop players with uh, an analytical approach that will allow you to see what are the holes and the things that you're doing like how are we getting out of the zone? And I, I'm not sure about this yet because I'm not an expert at hockey. I, it's not something that I've broken down like I've broken down football. But it did really seem like Michigan was more willing to use the center of the ice on their breakouts, which right. really is something that, you know, every old school hockey guy is like, you never do that. <laughs> it's just not, not something in your, in your wheelhouse. But a result of that is I think they got a lot of clean exits that they wouldn't have got otherwise. And we'll have to see that against a team that's not Windsor, but uh, it's just early, early returns, I think uh, are going to be interesting 
because we might see Michigan play. They're not going to play a different style. They're going to be Michigan, but we might see them play in different ways that are, are more efficient and more up to like NHL standards. And what you didn't mention is that, uh, what you didn't mention is that we actually have a, a pretty good goalie too in in Portillo and uh and I think Luke Hughes will be the best defenseman in the country and has a good shot at the Hobie Baker and and so I I'm I'm with you I think this team has an incredible upside uh as maybe perhaps higher than last year even and so well, I mean, they were the number one overall seed in the tournament. So, yeah. but keep in mind, Mel teams would start really slowly, and there would be like yeah, they did. Like Wisconsin, were like, oh, these guys are just you know, they're they're just well, I don't think that's that's c- we're not adjusting, and like, I, I'll be interested to see if that's different. Yeah, I kind of think it won't be just because of the main reason that Mel's teams didn't get out of the gate real fast is that they're super young. Yeah. yeah. Sure. So this is another super young team. Yeah. Well, we'll have more to talk about hockey next week as they open the season tomorrow night and Saturday night against Lindenwood. Of course, next week we'll be talking about the Indiana football game, uh, recapping that one and uh, previewing the Penn State matchup, which is next Saturday. So a lot to get to, guys. Appreciate your time as always. We'll talk to you next week. And for everybody else. Let's go have a pool party. That's right. And everybody, <laughs> Draymond's not invited. <laughs> and for everybody else, <laughs> this has been the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050, WPKA, Ann Arbor, Accumulus Station.